Hey, welcome to episode 130 of Motherhood in Hollywood. This episode is sponsored by Smile Direct Club. Now, as you guys know, I have been noticing some shifting and changes in my smile and in my teeth as I get older, and Smile Direct Club is helping me fix that. Every week, I change out my aligners, and they're slightly different week by week so that they are slowly closing up the gaps and fixing the um, inconsistencies, almost said errors in my teeth, but the, the problems with my teeth. And so far, I have been super happy. I'm just starting week three, and it could not be an easier process. So if you want to learn more about Smile Direct Club and how you can fix your smile, Go right now to smiledirectclub.com and enter the code Heather Smiles. When you do, you will get 50% off of your at-home impression kit, your in-home impression kit. Or if you live in a city that has a smile shop, you'll get a free scan on your smile. So make sure you enter Heather Smiles and get started. Like, why not? Let's live it. Let's live our best life, guys. <laughs> Uh, all right, I'm going to drink my coffee now. Here we go. Come on, mama. Grab your popcorn and goobers. It's time for Motherhood in Hollywood with your host, Heather Brooker. This is a crude prude's perspective on being a full-time mom in showbiz. She's not a perfect mom, but she can play one on TV. Hold on to your butts. Here's Heather. Hey friends, hope you're having a wonderful week so far. I am thrilled about this week's episode. It's a good one, if I do say so myself, and I do. My guest this week is screenwriter John August. Now He's best known for writing Charlie's Angels, Big Fish, and some of his movies with Tim Burton, Frank and Weenie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Corpse Bride. But I was first introduced to his work in the movie Go, if you guys remember that film as well. He's here today, though, to talk about his first ever novel called Arlo Finch in the Valley of Fire and what he's doing with the Wondery Network. Wondery is a big podcast network. He's launching a new podcast, or I guess he should say, launching a new podcast called Launch. <laughs> um, it actually just started, uh, I think about a week or so ago on the Wondery Network. And it sort of chronicles his process of becoming um, a, a, a writer, an, an author, as opposed to a screenwriter, I should say. Um, and he's recording, spent the past few years uh, recording conversations and meetings and um, really just his entire process of writing his first novel. So I'm very excited for him to share that with you. But also, he talks about what it's like being a dad um, and a screenwriter, uh, a very successful screenwriter at that. So he talks about how his perspective and his time have sort of shifted a little bit. So I think you guys are really going to love this interview with John. Now, what else was I going to say? Oh, so the Super Bowl is happening um, as I'm recording this podcast right now. The Super Bowl is getting ready to um, kick off, and my husband is making his famous belly burner chili that he makes every year for the Super Bowl. To be honest, we've never had a dog in this fight, like ever. There's never been a year where I'm like, oh, we got to watch the Super Bowl because such and such team is playing. We've never really lived in a town that had an NFL team, and certainly, you know, LA just got one like last year. So maybe one day the Rams or Chargers will make it to the Super Bowl, and then we'll get a little more excited. But honestly, we just use it as an opportunity to eat more. 
to eat more just like garbage food. So yay, bring on the garbage food, bring on the chili and the cheese and the chips and all that stuff. Um, what else is happening? Oh, so we are leaving in a couple of weeks for our big Disney World social media conference. And I am so excited. But I'll tell you, some of the moms that are going, some of the other um, moms that have been invited to the conference, they are hardcore. I'm afraid that they will look at me and go, you are not Disney enough. You need to get on up out of here. Um, so I'm kind of like trying to gather as much Disney stuff as I can in the meantime to be like, no, no, we love Disney. I mean, we do love Disney, but it's just, I don't eat, sleep and breathe it. You know, um, that being said, I am super excited to go to a sneak preview of black Panther this week. What? I know it's supposed to be, everyone says it's the best one. It's the best one. So we'll see. I'm going to go see black Panther. I just, um, did a whole bunch of coverage at a press conference for, um, Oh my God, the name of the movie just fell out of my head. Peter Rabbit (laughs) for Peter Rabbit. And that was amazing. I got to interview, um, excuse me, I got to interview James Corden, Rose Byrne, Margot Robbie. um, And here's a little embarrassing thing that I hate to admit. So the lead guy in the, in the movie, I think his name is Domin Hall, Dom Hall. I'm sure I'm butchering it. Gleason. And I kept looking at him like, why is he so familiar? I know I just saw him in Peter Rabbit, but he looks really familiar. And my friend Susie next to me goes, he's in Star Wars. And I was like, yes, he's the bad guy in Star Wars. And I could not believe that I didn't. He looks so different. He looked so different. His head was, his hair was like bright red. He looks very Irish. Um, And I just could not, (laughs) I didn't put two and two together. So I, I felt like a total um, poser when it comes to Star Wars and sci-fi stuff. Um, but anyway, I'll get back on track. Speaking of Star Wars and sci-fi stuff, John and I talked about on this episode, um, our love of next generation and the, some of the cool new sci-fi shows that are out. So this is a really great show and I'm very excited to share it with you. So I'm going to wrap up the mommy monologue and get right to my interview with screenwriter, John August. So I cannot wait to dive into some questions with my guest today. It's John August. He is a screenwriter and I know you have seen all of his movies and you've done television too, right, John? I've done three failed TV shows. So uh, <laughs> if you, the, the one that actually made it to air uh, lasted like seven episodes. I think they um, maybe aired three of them. So you, you mostly know me on the big screen. Okay, so what a great way for me to start the episode by talking about your failed <laughs> TV, your failed television shows. <laughs> Failure is part of the whole process, so I, it's good to bring it up. <laughs> um, well, I'm just thrilled to have you on because you um, have done some of the most memorable uh, films that uh, we are big fans of here in my house. I know when I saw that you had done Big Fish, I was just like, oh my gosh. Very specific memories of that film. and um, But I'm going to backtrack a little bit. I would love to talk to you, first of all. Um, let's start with your podcast because you're, you just launched a new podcast. Is it on, It's on Wondery, right? That's right. So it's wondery.fm slash launch or sort of wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's a show called Launch. It is a show about uh, the journey of making a book. So it's a six-episode little mini-series uh, charting a book from literally the initial idea, which I had a, on a conversation with a another writer and you sort of hear the genesis of it there to bookstore shelves. The book comes out February 6th around the world and uh, it's how it got there. It's my interviews with 
other authors, you know, getting an agent, uh, getting my editor, figuring out the cover, uh, doing, you know, book tour stuff. And I actually got to see the book being printed. So it's, it's the whole process, all the behind the scenes of how a book comes into the world. Now, is it in real time? Like while it's actually going on in your life, we're hearing you sort of talk about it and through the process or was this kind of something that you did after the fact? So right when I started writing the book, I started recording all these interviews and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with them, but I had a lot of questions and I figured if I was going to ask those questions, I might as well get it on tape. And so, you know, over about that first year, I realized like there's probably a show here. And so we pitched it to Wondery and I described it sort of like two of my favorite podcasts, which is Planet Money. They did this whole series, the story of a t-shirt that tracks, you know, how a t-shirt comes from, you know, growing the cotton to the factory to arriving at someone's doorstep and also another show called startup which tracks the beginning of this podcasting company and what i loved about both of them is like you saw the whole process but you also saw the outcome so people who are following along on the podcast they get to see me having the idea but then they can also see like the book that is literally coming out in the bookstores in real time now, since you're a writer, what's it like for you to kind of switch gears a little bit and do more of like the audio side of things where you're talking and narrating and you're being more um, verbal than, you know, because you, you kind of envision most writers like sitting quietly in their office or at Starbucks, you know, mm -hmm. writing the next big screenplay. Um, what's it like for you to be so open and talking about it? Well, for the last six years, I've done a podcast called Script Notes, um, which is much more like the show we're doing right here, which is two people talking and it's just a conversation. It's like you're eavesdropping on a conversation. So to do launch was a very different thing because it's more like a monologue and I'm just talking to you as the person listening to it. Yeah. And that is a really strange form. And it took <laughs> me a while to figure out how to really do that because it's it's just so odd. And it's very written. Basically, I had all this tape and you have to figure your way into and out of the tape. And then how to, you know, in writing, get all those things to fit together and make one consistent thought. But once you finish writing, I have to go and really perform it. And me talking to you live that this is a conversation, but to make it have the same energy, but as me talking to nobody, that mm -hmm. was a real challenge for me. It's a, it's a, it's a whole second level. You think you're done and like, oh, no, no, it's, it's a lot more. And now what is the name of the book that you are featuring in, the, in launch? So it's a book called Arlo Finch in the Valley of Fire. It is middle grade fiction. So it's a 12 year old boy who moves to the mountains of Colorado. Uh, he joins the equivalent of scouts called the Rangers and discovers they can do some kind of magical things because the forest outside their town is magic. So it's very classically oh, the kind of book that I loved as a kid growing up in Colorado. It's very much taking everything I loved about like reading books and being in scouts and sort of mashing them together in a really fun way. So three, it's a three book series. The first book comes out February 6th and then there's a another book in the series each year uh, for the first three books. And are you going to do um, a corresponding podcast with each book? We'll see what happens. So launch is just sort of a special case. We're figuring out, and I don't know what the last two episodes of launch are going to be because it's all after the book comes out and we'll, we'll chart. Is it a success? Is it not a success? I have on February 4th, I have this you know live event for the, my book launch party at Chevalier's on Larchmont. And I don't know if, 20 people are going to come or 100 people. And well, so, I'll be there, John. Just send me the, the invitation and I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we got one confirmation. So uh, uh, when we sent out the first uh, Evite to, to friends about it, uh, someone wrote back and pointed out, you know, that's the same weekend as the Super Bowl. I'm like, oh. Oh, so no. we, 
<laughs> so we actually moved it up a few hours so we wouldn't literally be competing with like the biggest event oh my God, in so funny. American history. So, <laughs> you know, I, um, when I was pregnant, um, accidentally scheduled my, um, birthing class on the mm-hmm. Super Bowl Sunday <laughs> and, um, you have never seen a room full of guys who could not wait to get out of there faster. They were all looking yes. at their watch. They were like, like let's breathe, wrap breathe, breathe. Yeah. Like we got it. We got it. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Um, which, uh, you know, reminds me too, I wanted to ask, you know, you're a father, right? I am. My daughter's 12 years old now. And how has that affected your writing style Are you or your ideas? You know, I think becoming a parent uh, forces a writer to be a little bit more responsible with his or her use of time. Because when I, sort of pre-kid, uh, I could just write all night and then I, if I slept all day, it was fine. But once you have a baby, like you can't be doing that. Like it just it really changes everything. Like you've got to get that kid fed and diapered and ultimately get that kid to school. So it forced my work time into a more normal nine to six kind of you know schedule, which on a whole, I think is pretty good. One thing I've been really it's been important for me to have my daughter see, though, is that work is work. And so mm-hmm. she's been with me as I've gone to film sets and you know, as I was doing Big Fish on Broadway, she was there for all the lighting and tech rehearsals. So she sees I, I really am working and that you have a job. Uh, I have a job and that it's not always great. It's not always fun. It's not always meeting celebrities. A lot of times it's stressful and things fail. And I want her to see that, too, because I think so often um, we try to present this sort of perfect life uh, for our kids. And I want to have them see that it's OK to to fall down and skin your knees and have things go wrong, have more realistic views of what life is really like. You know, I, I I think that's wonderful. I'd love to hear you say that because I'm, um, in addition to hosting this podcast, I'm also an actor. And as you know, it's very much a freelance style of life. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I have work and sometimes I'll go months or weeks without work. And, um, I'm here for her a lot. So it may, sometimes she's like, you know, why don't you ever work like daddy works? And I'm like, well, <laughs> it's a different kind of work, but I do work. <laughs> yes. Um, so I try to incorporate her as much as I can. I, she's gone on to auditions with me. Mm-hmm. She's been to set when I have like wardrobe fittings and stuff like that. So I love showing her whenever I can that I do work and, and what I do. So I think that's wonderful. Absolutely. And whenever I have actress friends, um, uh, you may have had this situation where you are going someplace with your kid and then they see you in makeup for the first time or they see you with a wig for the first time mm-hmm. and they flip out because <laughs> it, where is my mother? Like everything has changed. Uh, as the writer, I'm never in disguise. So I'm always, <laughs> I'm always just that stupid guy who's your dad. Um, she it's really more of like she thinks I play dress up. So mm-hmm. yeah. she's she loves that. She is all about costumes and, you know, mm-hmm. she's loves that sort of aspect of it. So um, I would love to know where your inspiration for writing comes from. Like, did you know at a young age that you enjoyed writing? I did. I, you know, my, one of my very first memories is my mom had this old manual typewriter and I was obsessed with it, mostly as a machine, but also just like that I could, I could push the buttons and words would come out. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing my first story there. It was about this boy who falls in a hole in Mars and because it was a manual typewriter and there was no correction, if I hit the wrong key, I would have to sort of change the story in order to like match the letter that I typed. Uh, so, but I was probably four or five when I was doing that. And then I just, I just kept writing. I was writing stories. I studied journalism in college. Once I figured out there was such a thing as writing movies, I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I applied to USC, got into film school 
Um, and I just, I just always wrote. And I think I've always tried to write myself out of problems. I've always been the guy who could just do that thing. I could, I could craft those paragraphs that would sort of get me out of the situations I was in. Now, you, writing is your preference, but you've also directed too. Mm-hmm. Like, do you like doing both at the same time, or or focusing on maybe directing something and that maybe you haven't written, or you know, what is your preference there? You know, what I love about directing is that chance of, you know, really making those final decisions and to really author on that next level, where it's like, okay, this whole team has come together to like to to make this moment happen, and that's great. I can only envision directing stuff that I've written just because I, I so thoroughly know what mm-hmm. my intentions are there. Um, but I really love it. The first time I had a chance to direct is on my first movie, Go. We fell behind schedule and I had to sort of start directing the second unit scenes. And I'd always been so scared of like how I, I won't know where to aim the camera. I won't know what to tell the people whose job it is to you know help make the shot. But then I discovered, you know, what? I actually do have the answers. I do have a sense of what those things are. So when it came time to direct my first my shorts and then my actual movie, The Nines, uh, I I really liked it. It was important for me to learn that process of, you know, it's not like hosting a party where you're trying to make sure everyone's having a good time. Mm-hmm. It's about how do I create a situation where everyone can do their best work and how do I, you know, give them the information about what I need so they can do their very best work. And that was a hugely valuable lesson that I, I've taken with me. So you sort of, do you feel like you kind of learned, um, like trial and error a little bit on set when you're with your, with go or was it no go? You directed go, right? No, I, I wrote go, wrote and go. I, directed, I directed second unit. So the first full length movie I directed was the nine, which is, okay. um, Ryan Reynolds and Melissa McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was a situation of just, you know, I had this very specific weird vision of like what I wanted to do. And rather than tell people how to do their jobs, like rather than, you know, classically you would know as an actor, there's nothing more frustrating than a director telling you kind of do it exactly this way. Instead, a director needs to tell you, this is what I'm going for. Here are some helpful things I may be able to tell you about what I'm envisioning, but it's up for you to figure out like what that means inside your body. Um, And it's really that same process dealing with all the other department heads. And so my DP, Nancy Schreiber, um, I would say, okay, okay, for this section of the movie, I'm, to me, it feels like you're two beers in on a great July night. <laughs> and that means something to me, but also means something to her. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to tell her, like, I'm looking for these lenses or this color palette or this thing. But, like, it, it's going to click for her and it's telling her stuff. And so you give the same kind of direction to your composer and to your actors about, okay, for this next thing, let me, you know, give you some verbs about what your action, the sort of, what the internal process is, but I'm not going to direct you with adjectives. I'm not going to tell you to be, to be happier because that's meaningless. Like a line by line direction. Yeah. Um, kills you. It does. And as an actor, you also kind of, it's very empowering to have a little bit of that creative freedom to take mm-hmm. the training that you have and the, your own like experiences and add it to a character without someone you know, for lack of a better word, stifling it a little bit. Um, even though I know directors, they're kind of there to make sure they're getting the best performance and, you know, mm-hmm. what they need for this script. Um, is there any story that you um, haven't told yet in terms of like, is there some kind of type of story, you know, that you're just like itching to get out and for a screenplay? You know, almost all of the work I do is, a character who travels from one world into another world. So, you know, it's 
in Charlotte and Chocolate Factory, it's, you know, this kid in this sort of normal town who goes into the magical factory. Um, in Big Fish, we, you know, there's the real world, which is the grown son talking to his dying father. And then there's the fantasy world of the father. And it's it's how characters negotiate those two worlds. Mm-hmm. So there's not like one thing out there that I've never done or explored. But I have a feeling there's a lot more things in that general framework that I'll probably be spending the rest of my life writing in some capacity. So you like that sort of um, fantasy um, your, your movies always seem very idyllic and they have this like magical childlike feeling to them, even if they're not necessarily for kids, there definitely is a, um, an innocence and wonder about them. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Julie Buxbaum is a, a novelist and she describes how in her life, like her mom died at a young age and that she thinks people sort of get stuck at one age in their life. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was probably, you know, between eight and 12, where I, I I could very easily slip into a fantasy world and just really see, you know, envision everything sort of around me. I, I could, I was very good at playing make believe and sort of pretending that like, my bed was a boat on the ocean and, you know, my life was a spy movie. I've always done that. And I, I love I, that. I'm, I'm still very much that kid. And so I get paid to write those stories and tell those stories um, just with sort of adult skills. Are you a sci-fi fan at all? Do you like sci-fi type type things? I do. I'm mostly a sci-fi watcher rather than a sci-fi reader. So I haven't read a lot of the great sci-fi classics, but you know, any given episode of Star Trek, I'm there. Uh, which one? Which which Star Trek? Uh, so the original series, of course, I grew up on, but it's really Star Trek: The Next Generation that Yay! is my touchstone for it. So <laughs> me too. Um, yeah. So when Picard gets, you know taken over by the Borg that I'm completely there. Oh my gosh. The best. I used best to of both worlds. It's, I used to host a podcast um, called booze and phasers mm, nice. where me and my girlfriends would sit around and we would make like a star Trek themed cocktail, like a hairy mud pie. Mm-hmm. And it would be like a, you know, Kahlua and stuff. Um, <clears throat> but we make star Trek themed drinks and just talk about like our favorite episodes and, and stuff like that. And just get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, it sounds like a good excuse for a lot of drinking totally. a lot of sort of like and rather digging like deep into the liquor cabinet the stuff that you wouldn't normally get to sort of mix uh-huh. into things like oh yeah, yeah that Kahlua that's been sitting there for like five years right. yeah, like what's out. the creme de menthe because it's green and you gotta have yeah. a green drink you know uh, absolutely <laughs> a, little, a little Romulan ale so. right right we we just had way too much fun and by the end of it we're all just like slurring and like Riker Picard like just <laughs> rambling I don't just nonsense but it was yes. we all actually had to stop because we were like we're just getting drunk every week <laughs> <laughs> it's like, basically an excuse for our binge drinking right exactly we're just getting blotto and hat for no reason um <laughs> but I love that I love talking to people who under who appreciate and understand um the value of the next generation it is such a good show That's every such, time it's on spike show. I'll I'll stop and watch it it's so weird the watching back to the pilot episode of Next Generation because mm-hmm. it's not good. It's it, not like, good. It, it's so no, <laughs> it's so square and staging, and like you just feel Roddenberry. The uniforms uh, were awkward. Like everything yeah. was was not right. And, uh, but what it morphed into was just a really amazing thing. Um, are you watching the new Star Trek? I watched the first episode, and then we were living in France that whole year, so it was hard for me to watch stuff as it was coming out. So I haven't watched it. So tell me, mind. should I watch it? Um. To be honest, I have mixed feelings about it. It's struggling a little bit for me. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not 
it's sort of finding its stride because you know with all like you just said like even with the first episode first few episodes of next generation it still hadn't quite figured out what it was doing yet and it was very awkward and this is um it's like they're trying all of the old tropes of star trek and they're cramming them into the first like few episodes and you're like no you got to build up to some of this yeah um so i don't know it's okay we we watch it but i don't like that we have to pay for it that's my beef yeah. with it um so i'm just gonna plug a friend show here just because it's amazing have you watched counterpart yet no what's that so counterpart is a brand new show on stars my friend justin marks created it and so it's jk simmons who plays yes! this guy this guy who <gasps> yes! works for this weird governmental organization and it turns out that that um I won't spoil too much of it, but essentially there's a tunnel through which people in a parallel dimension can walk through and the guy, his other self walks through and uh, it's so well done. And if you like Trek, you will really dig it because it's, you know, I was wrong. I have that watched stuff. that. I just didn't connect the name with it. But yes, my husband um, is a big sci-fi fan and he's like, I want to watch this new show. Um, and we have watched, um, I think at least the first episode, maybe the first two. Um, it's, a, it's good oh it's really good i see i love stuff like that too like what you said where there's maybe an alternate universe or another place that you go in your mind like i also love the idea of like dystopian world futuristic mm -hmm. world type stuff um i don't know what it is it's maybe the escapism well when you see a world that's visibly worse than your current world it makes you feel a little bit better about <laughs> your current world so uh, the degree to which we're living in dystopia now, you sometimes reach yeah. for like, oh, what would that be? And there's also that combination of utopia and dystopian, which is kind of the fun of it all. It's like where it's like things seem better, but underneath they're actually a lot worse. Right, so, right. Uh, Do yeah. you find that you draw inspiration from um, things in the news or is it really more from, you know, your day to day life and that sort of thing? So for Arlo Finch, one of the best parts about it was that I got to sort of time travel back to what it was like to be that kid running around in the woods. And mm -hmm. because it's it's set present day, but because it's a little mountain town uh, where cell phones don't work especially well, it really does feel like nothing has changed. And so I could really appropriate a lot of my youth and stick it in there. So every day sitting down at the keyboard has been kind of time travel and remembering what it was really like to be there and be that age and and have those kinds of, you know, 12 year old boy problems. So for that, for Arla Finch, no, I haven't had to take a lot from present events and that's kind of great. I feel mm -hmm. like the, the really good kids lit, uh, should feel timeless. Like it's not trying to speak to any one moment that's happening out there in the world. I want to talk a little bit about your um, when you first began screenwriting. Did you have any struggles in the beginning, like trying to get um, an agent, trying to get represented, trying to get anyone to read your materials? I had sort of all the classic problems. And so I host this other podcast called Script Notes, which is a weekly show about screenwriting. And you know, every week we get the same kind of questions like, well, do I need to move to Los Angeles? How do I get an agent? How do I all get started? And we try to address them, but we also try to make it clear that like everyone's journey is very different. And so mm -hmm. your experience as an actor, um, is going to be different than, you know, the person sitting next to you and their experience. Um, but the, the commonalities I found is that you do a lot of work and eventually people notice your work and say like, Oh, this is actually really good. And when those people say like, that's really good, you thank them. And then you sort of say like, um, Hey, what should I be doing next? Like, how do I connect to the next step? And 
finding those people who get exposed to your work tends to be really lateral. It's it, everyone thinks like, oh, I'm gonna meet somebody really powerful and they're gonna invite me up to this next step. It tends to be helping a lot of people out at your same level. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's like I was in a film school class. We would all read each other's scripts. We would help each other out on our shows, on our, our, our little shorts that we were making. And eventually as different people got to different places, we all kind of rose up together. And when I talk to other writers, uh, it's been the same kind of situation where like one of them gets a manager and you help them out on their short. And then eventually that same manager reads them or a producer reads them. And it, it eventually sort of rises up for me. It was a, a short film I'd written that people liked, um, and, uh, got me in eventually to pitch on a project. I, I did an adaptation of this kid's book called how to eat fried worms for imagine. And that was getting that one job. I got the next job and I got the next job and, you know, but there were kind a of ton builds. of jobs, but then, but you know, in that story, there are, you know, 70 jobs I didn't get where I was the person who went in and didn't get that assignment. And uh, that always gets kind of left off of the story of someone's success is all those little things that didn't work. Now, I would like to know, we talked just a little bit about um, television. I would want to know, do you ever want to get into, you know, show running um, a series regularly? Like television right now is having sort of a rebirth mm-hmm. um, and there's so much content being absorbed. Or do you really just feel more at home um, with screenwriting, with features? You know, I would love to do a TV show. Uh, my husband has sort of banned me from doing TV shows for a bit, <laughs> partly because he we have so many showrunner friends and the life of a showrunner is just horrible and exhausting and wonderful because you get to make amazing things, but you are pulled away from your family so much. Did you see that um, documentary called Showrunner? I haven't seen it. It <gasps> sounds great. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. And also makes like exactly what you just said makes me think I don't ever want to do that. <laughs> So the luxury I've had, you know, the last 12 years is I've been able to do the kinds of things I want to do that, but I mostly get to stay here with my family. Uh, My hours are not nuts and the stresses are mostly self-imposed stresses rather than there's an entire show and a a writing staff and a crew that is waiting on me to decide what that character is going to say next. Mm -hmm. Um, When I did my first TV show for um, the WB network, it was called DC and uh, it was it was a slow motion car crash. And I, I had so many out of body experiences where like, Oh, I think I'm having a nervous breakdown, oh, no. but I don't really have time for it. And I, I see myself having these conversations, but I'm not actually in my body while I'm doing this. Uh, it was really just horrible. Um, oh, no. and so the, the times I've tried to do TV afterwards, I, I went into it with better frameworks around me of people who could support me. Um, but those shows didn't happen, which is fine too. Um, I'm very intimidated by any sort of, uh, like, I, I don't know how showrunners do it and executive producers, how they do it, um, mm-hmm. day in and day out. It seems like it's so overwhelming. Um, but I have a lot of admiration for that for sure. And for, you know, people who are making feature films that to me seems so incredibly difficult. Yeah. A feature film though, it's, you know, it's in some ways it's like a sprint. Like you, you just, you just, you, you're buckling down and you're going to get through this thing. The people who do do uh, TV shows, it's like a marathon or it's like you're sprinting marathons. It's like, okay, we got through that. Okay. There's only 26 more of these to do. And <laughs> that's the thing where you're, you're having to do all phases of the project at once. That's what's really exhausting. I got to do a Broadway musical and the difference from that is like if, if a movie is a sprint and a TV show is a marathon, doing the Broadway show was like a migration where it's like, it's just a completely different order of, of scale and magnitude. It just took eight years oh, and wow. you're, 
you're assembling this whole community and you put it on and you do a reading and then everybody goes away. And then you assemble the whole community and you put it on in Chicago and then everybody goes away. And uh, that's been fascinating too, but just a, a giant you know, portion of my life has been making the Big Fish musical. And what is your relationship to actors whenever you have a um, film that you've written? Mm -hmm. Are you ever called in and asked your opinion? Are you ever like asked like, who would you cast in this? Like what, how do you envision this? And then has anyone ever been cast where you're like, whoa, they are butchering my words. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. on all of you, Bob. So, uh, so I'll say every project is different. And you know, if it's a, a script I've written and you know, then a director comes on. Generally, there'll be some conversation about like who was in my head as I was writing this thing. There'll be just like a little, like little who little did chit-chat. you have in mind, kind of thing. Yeah, there'll be some some chit chatting about like you know what some of the options are, and you know you'll try to steer towards the folks you think can do it and away from the folks you think would be a bad fit for it. Um, you know, when it comes to you know a movie that's going into production, where I find a writer is really helpful is in that that last week before you know, you're really starting to shoot the movie, but where everyone's like getting into the feeling of like who their characters are. If you can set the table read for about that time, it gives a chance for everyone to really listen to the whole script. Um, and I, 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 I mean this in the nicest way, but actors will only kind of read the scenes they're in and will tend not to read the rest of the script. So the table read, uh, forces everyone to really focus on like the whole movie. Mm -hmm. So even those people who aren't in those scenes can understand like, Oh, okay. I get, I get what's happening in the time between and like, and why I can't say, why I can't act that way or, or say that line because it actually affects another scene. It gets everyone sort of on the same page. And off of the table read, I find I have some of the best conversations with actors because they're really thinking through like, okay, um, what are my overall goals? But like, if they're having a hard time with a specific line of dialogue, that is a fantastic time to come tell me and say like, hey, can we talk about this line or this moment? And so they can feel um, real investment and ownership and, and, and they can sell that thought because as a writer, I, I, I can write a fantastic line, but if an actor can't make it believable, then it's not a great line. That's so lovely to hear you say that. Um, it's frustrating on some level as an actor, because we, especially for television, um, Mm -hmm. it all moves so quickly that you sometimes get your scripts or your sides, uh, the day before, and you only get access to like, just your scene yeah. so you're kind of guessing because you don't get to read the entire script um because sometimes it's not even done yet yeah you know sure. and so you're kind of guessing and hoping well this is what i think their intention is or this is how i would play it and you it, it's very it's a lot of luck and a lot of you know hope that <laughs> you're not like i said butchering their butchering their words and like and getting it um film is sometimes well, a little different because it's a little longer process but yeah, but actors will drop in and out on those things too, and and it is challenging. I will say on TV, the hope is that you know the director has been through a tone meeting and really has a good sense of like what the whole thing is, and there should be some writer, if it's not the showrunner, then some other writer who's responsible for being the person there on the day the scene is shot to say like, okay, this is how this all fits in, or, or at least answer those questions, or can be watching on the monitor, like, okay, that's not going to track our intention for what is, this is supposed to be happening here, but. I, you know, TV moves so quick. I can totally see how as an actor, you probably aren't getting that feedback. Yeah. And you definitely don't get a lot of feedback. Well, you just get, you just never hear from them again. <laughs> <yep>. <laughs> and you're like, Oh, well, I guess that didn't, didn't go well. Uh, here, here's something I will say though. It's like the fact that you booked the job means you are probably doing the right thing. Yeah. And so the folks who are watching that tape said like, 
yes, she is. She's in the zone on what we want for this thing. And so trust that. I love that. I love that you are so giving and so generous with your advice and your insights um, and from your career and what you've had so far, because you talked about the podcast that you have for screenwriting and for writers. Um, and now you've got launch um, mm-hmm. and you also, um, you have your website too, where I was kind of thumbing yeah. through there as well. And you're just, you really seem to embrace the idea of giving back to other people and, and helping other people learn and, and grow as writers. Where does that come from? Why do you do that? Well, I think it comes back to when I was the kid who was curious about screenwriting, you know, I was you know growing up in Colorado, going to school in Des Moines, Iowa. It was sort of pre-internet and there was just really no good way to find out the answers to those questions I was having. Mm-hmm. And so once I moved here and got started and it was actually doing the job that um, I was so curious about, I realized that the next kid would be Googling and would be trying to find the answer online. So if I could be the guy who had the answer to that question, then I'm helping that kid out. And so the degree which you're paying it forward to the next kid and hopefully that kid will be answering the next round of questions, that's great. And with the launch podcast, I, I had so many questions about like how books are made and sort of what the process was like and was not finding really good answers for that. And so I figured, you know what, I'm going to go through this anyway. Let's structure this as a, as a real journey so people can see this is what it's like to go from, I have this idea for a book to, oh my gosh, my book is sitting on the shelf and track that whole process. And really quickly, before I let you go, are you going to be watching the Oscars? And do you have any, um, are there any of the films that you're sort of rooting for? You know, I will probably be watching the Oscars. It's going to be in the middle of sort of book uh, craziness. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the Oscars. Um, and I've gotten to go a couple times. It's really fun to watch it in, in the house. Um, I haven't seen all the movies I need and want to see before I start voting. Uh, I will tell you that Call Me By Your Name slayed me. And I uh, am so incredibly happy that movie exists in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, if there were no other movies this past year but that movie, I would still think it was a great year for movies because it just does something remarkable. So um, there are just ridiculously talented people working in every branch and so many amazing movies. That's one that I just can't get out of my head. Um, I'm like you, I'm behind on a few movies as well. I forgot to pay my SAG dues. <laughs> and so I, I like December rolled around and I was like, why haven't I got any screeners yet? And then I was like, Oh no. So I kind of dropped the ball. That was totally my fault, but, um, I'm playing catch up now and I hope to be caught up by the Oscars. So, um, I am, Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say like, um, with screeners coming in, this was the first year where we had to make a decision like, okay, are there any of these things that we're going to let our 12 year old daughter watch? And oh, yeah. so we actually let her watch with us uh, Lady Bird, which is an R rated movie. It's our first R rated movie, but we looked up sort of what was going to happen. And it was like, oh, you know what? As long as we make it clear with her, like, there's going to be a conversation afterwards about what we saw. And uh, it was a really good experience. And so, I mean, it's a terrific movie. Credit Garvey deserves 19,000 awards for the, the great movie she made. But it was also a great movie to watch with. The kid who was just at that cusp of like trying to figure out who yeah. she is and yeah. uh, and what sex is like, and uh, it was a really uh, good experience. So that was a unique thing about this award season is to be able to have that screener, so we could watch it at home and talk through it, and really just have a great conversation that we wouldn't have been able to have about those things unless there'd been a movie to sort of 
pull it out of us. I think that's one of the beautiful things about movies and about TV shows is that it can spark conversation and it can change perspectives. Um, it's not all, although we do love the action movies and the Marvel and DC movies and all of that, which are just good fun. But there's that element of film that I think sometimes gets people forget about that movies can change people and, and affect mm-hmm. you in some way. And they should. Yeah, they should. And no, I, it's, it's, yeah. And, and, and with Lady Bird, the example of like a young woman trying to take agency over her life. And that's what all young women are, are mm-hmm. trying to figure out at this age. So it was perfect. Oh, well, I am just so inspired by you and by everything that you're doing and you're giving back and all of the podcasts and, you know, your books. And so I'm just so grateful that you took the time to talk with me today. It was a pleasure. And your new book is called Arlo Finch in the Valley of Fire. And when does that come out? Is it available February, now? No, February 6th, uh, worldwide. Well, uh, U.S. and Canada wide. But uh, <laughs> for folks in Los Angeles, which I guess is a, a fair chunk of this audience, uh, February 4th is our launch in L.A. So it's at Chevalier's on Larchmont. I know. I'm excited to be at that party, John. Cool. <laughs> I- I'll meet you there in person. Yay. All right. Thank you again. I appreciate it so much. Thanks. It's a pleasure. Everybody, I'm going to put up information about John and his new book, as well as his new podcast called Launch on the Wondering Network. And if you guys want to head to motherhoodinhollywood.com, that's where you'll find everything. Have a wonderful week, everyone. And remember, I'm not a perfect mom, but I can play one on TV. Bye. Balls.